Hi, friends. Welcome to the Church Abused Coach podcast with me, Laurie Sullivan, an author, teacher, wife, mother, Nana, ex-minister's wife, survivor, Jesus-loving daughter of a fantastic, faithful, and ferocious God. If you, like me, have been abused by a minister or church and want to be heard, to heal, to live in hope, I am so glad you're here. In this podcast, we will break the silence on this issue, actively pursue healing, and determine, choose, pick, declare to live victorious anyway. Are you ready for that? Come on, grab that coffee, pour that tea, sip your straw, and let's begin. Hey friends, let's hear from an expert today. Our podcast has three pillars. Break the silence, find the healing, and live victorious anyway. Today, we are breaking some silence about church abuse with a special guest who also happens to be a psychology professor. Come on. Friends, I have personal coaching available to promote the healing that will allow you to find abundant life in Christ and live victorious anyway. Four sessions are offered at the introductory price of $199. Hop onto my website, www.victoriousanyway.co, scroll to the Church Abuse Coach section, sign up. There are 15 spots that are available. So go ahead and grab one now. Hey, podcast family, Jessica Gomez is with us today. She's a professor and a former student of mine who did very well in both AP classes that she took from me. Let's just shout that out. (laughs) Jessica married her high school sweetheart, a guy she met at the Christian Preparatory High School. After an unspeakable journey of pain, they divorced. This mother of an adorable seven and nine-year-old is also and currently an expert as a psychology professor with some personal experience in leaving an abusive relationship despite, and wait for it, religiously motivated pressures to, quote, pray it out. She now teaches classes on the psychology of domestic violence. Welcome, Jessica. Happy to be here. Yay. And just so that you know, out there in podcast world, there aren't too many more great moments in life like seeing one of your students become amazing. So (laughs) it's so good to have you here. Um, Jessica, uh, two purposes today. Um, The expert in you and uh, the young Christian woman who went through this journey in in a church setting, uh, tell us about how you break the silence in the secular world and then in the Christian world as well. Well, one thing that I think is pretty sad is it's actually quite a bit easier to break the silence in the secular, secular world than in the Christian world. Um, Uh The the church, I think, has a little bit of of catching up to do when it comes to believing and supporting victims of abuse. Um, One of the biggest elements in breaking the silence within the Christian world has to do with 
the culture of the church and then being able to listen to what women are saying and providing a safe space for those women to speak. We know based on recent statistics, about one in four highly religious U.S. marriages involve some element of intimate partner violence. Um, That's a that's a huge number. And I think if there was more awareness of the church community, sit around and look and one in four couples in your congregation may be maybe experiencing a problem. Are there resources being offered to those women? Is there language happening at the church where those women would feel safe coming forward and saying things? Or is the church itself perpetuating a community of silencing and mm-hmm. protect your husband's reputation and work things out at home and praying mm-hmm. keep sweet? Um, so a lot of the element of breaking the silence is do these women have someone to go to as that first step where they will be believed and be heard and not just told to go home and pray and try harder? Oh, Oh, you're killing me. Uh, It's just familiar. And I think our listeners are, are shouting their amens from wherever they are, that that has been the experience. Um, Not that we're, you know, I, here at the podcast, we're not trying to bash the church. We're just saying church of God. Hello. Mm -hmm. Um, There's room for improvement. There's a lot of there are there are a lot of churches out there and a lot of organizations out there that are doing a fantastic job. My church home that I have now is amazing. My pastor and the whole pastoral leadership team are overtly, explicitly supportive of anybody who is in a situation and needing help or resources or protections. And there's a lot of believers out there, a lot of organizations out there that are doing really great work in this regard. Um, and, and hopefully those will start having some bigger ripple effects to the church communities as a whole on a broader scale. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is so needed. And I just cringe with you. Um, even when I read your intro about quote, pray it out. Um, okay, no, (laughs) um, there, so talk to us professionally here about, uh, a little bit about, um, you know, I've told you in my story, um, my husband was a minister and a porn addict um, and a pedophile and a sexual predator and just all the bad words. Um, so, yeah, give us some some uh, professional kind of information as a psychology gal um, about about that topic. Okay, so one of the one of the places where I always tend to start when I'm discussing this is the impact of pornography. Um, you mentioned sex addiction, and a lot of times that starts with pornography. Mm-hmm. One of the ways this is specifically more linked to the church is, especially in churches that are still following a purity culture model, mm-hmm. there tends to be a lot of curiosity among young boys. And a lot of times the answers that they get to the questions they have simply don't suffice. Um, Mm. We know right now the average age of intentional pornography consumption for the first time has gone down to being like nine or 10 years old for boys, depending on, yeah. Um, And so a lot of times this, this kind of plants this seed of 
once they look for it that first time because their questions aren't answered well and they're steeped in this purity culture their questions aren't answered well they look for it that first time they see how easy it is to find how easy it is to hide from their parents and it unfortunately starts this really bad habit of again purity culture well i'm not actually having sex i'm not actually doing anything wrong but i have this resource here yeah we know from so much re- from so much research that's been done that there is a very strong link that develops between that pornography use and that um, domestic violence. And we see it as early as teenagers. There was actually a study done just a couple years ago that was specifically on teen boys in high school. And what they found was that boys who watched pornography, specifically violent pornography, were two to three times more likely to be violent in their dating relationships as teenagers. And it doesn't get better as they get older. Um, And there's just research that shows time and time again that consuming pornography is linked to spousal abuse, is linked to um, sexual assault of your romantic partner. And one of the most interesting things that was found recently is that not only is it linked to committing these behaviors, but it's actually been shown to minimize how severe they think that what they have just done is. They minimize their actions. And so what, what's happening is you have these men who are watching pornography, who are then engaging in domestic violence, often some sort of sexually based domestic violence, sexually assaulting their partners. And then they're turning around and they're saying things like, well, but I've never beat you up. Well, but I've never physically harmed you in one of those interactions. And they're they're downplaying the severity of the behaviors that they're doing because they're seeing those interactions modeled in pornography, which frequently depicts non-consensual behaviors, which frequently depicts sexual interactions, which are not respectful and mutually satisfying, but that do have some element of coercion or control or aggression as part of them. Oh. I I like um how you said that it gets minimized. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um it's not that bad. There has to be this justification system going on in the background. Um and I I've often called porn like Satan's favorite Christian sin. Yes. Because of the secrecy of it all, because it can be completely unknown um, to anybody, not just the, the spouse, you know? And then when it is uncovered and um, the spouse has to deal with it now, the go-to answer is to minimize it. And it, in any situation and God forbid we bring it to the attention of the church because the person we may be talking to may also be engaging in the, you know, um, the favorite secret sin and not going to come down so hard on the husband sitting in front of them. 
Correct. And I, um, a conversation that I had personally had with one of the pastors that was involved in my situation had made the statement of if, if women left their husbands after they found porn, there wouldn't be very married, many married couples left in the church. Like, man, you're, you're right. And that's actually really sad. What a sentence. Yeah. What a sentence. No, a man, because he is a man, I think it goes back to that saying that we need to get rid of. Boys will be boys. Yes. No, no, no. Okay. Mm -hmm. Just no. Back yep. to you. Back to you. <laughs> um, what about um personally? What can you speak to personally about how the church um missed it for you? Um yeah. So one of I didn't discuss a lot of things with my church as a whole. Okay. Because there was a time when I was, I was really, really pushing for, for Christian counseling. And I didn't want anything that I had said to any church leadership to cloud comfort with him being willing to seek counseling. I didn't want him to feel like he was walking into a situation where I had already said all this stuff. Yeah. So I focused more on people in my life who were believers who thought that I, who I thought that I could respect and who I could trust. Mm -hmm. um, and so I did go to a few people looking for support and looking for help. And like what we talked about with the minimizing, um, I remember one of the most heartbreaking conversations I had around this, I was standing in this person's kitchen and drinking a cup of tea and really laying out all of the horribly degrading things that had been done to me in my own home. And this woman who I had respected and trusted for a very long time, looking across at me and saying, well, but didn't you just say that he never hit you? And like, he never left any physical damage. So what, what, what are you wanting from this? Like he never actually hurt you. And I remember just feeling so kind of like what we talked about with it, with it minimizing how, how they interpret sexual violence of, okay, so this isn't just a mindset of the, the spouse that I'm trying to get through to, to save my marriage. Like this is a wider arching uh, standard of the church that we've kind of adopted this mantra of. You never divorce except in cases of infidelity or abuse, but pornography as infidelity doesn't actually count. And sexual abuse doesn't actually count as abuse. Like abuse means this dude beat you up and pushed you down the stairs. And it was that realization of no one is actually considering the things that I went through as abuse because they were sexual and not in the realm of me having a black eye or a broken nose. Oh, oh, this has to be quotable. This, uh, <laughs> I'm writing this down, that infidelity, uh, pornography is not, it doesn't count as infidelity. What? 
Yeah. Whoopsie do. Excuse me, yeah. Jesus, who said to um, the crowd, if you look at a woman with lust in your eye, yeah. you have committed adultery. But we a woman's fault, right? Like this is part of the essence of modesty culture of because the Bible verse says that to men, women should protect against it based on how they dress and how they act because he's committed adultery if he looks at you with lust, but it's probably your fault if he did that. Right. And then we could jump over to Muslim culture and cover ourselves in black head to toe. Um in an effort to help the boys who will be boys. Yeah. So here is an A. Uh, that's a quotable quote. I'm keeping that forever. <laughs> um, the, ch- the church making allowance for porn as not being infidelity of anybody ever. It shouldn't be the Christian church. Or we need to tell Jesus he was wrong. Yeah. Mm. Okay, and the second thing that you said is so powerful, and I think any abuse listener understands this so well. Physical abuse is the accepted abuse. Exactly, exactly. It is the quantitative abuse. You can can document. Yeah, Yeah. you can document a black eye. You can Uh document broken bones. You can document an emergency room visit. You cannot document this person overpowered me and blocked me in a room and used my children in the next room as a way to stop me from screaming and fighting. You, You can't document that. No. And it is a quantitative, qualitative question in a sense. Uh, we want to tell the story. We want it to be understood in the all the nuances of the event, like you just described. But it's like the world is ready for a qualitative accusation, um, a quantitative accusation, sorry, of abuse, because we can measure how big that bruise is. Yeah. We can write us down some data. We love the data. It's so easy to document and to prove. But if it doesn't come with a black eye or a bruise or a broken bone, then you should just be able to pray that thing out. Exactly. Yeah. No. Or or you should have spoken up sooner or all those things that are put on the victim of you should have done this. You should have done that to get it to stop. Um, instead of, and then when women do come forward, questioning them, not believing them saying it must not have been that bad, or you wouldn't have stayed. And the, the whole, the whole theme of breaking the silence being okay. But when a woman breaks the silence, you don't believe her. You come up with all these reasons why she must be lying or exaggerating or blowing things out of proportion. Um, One of the suggestions that was actually made to me as part of the pray it away, when I had said, no, but you don't understand, I cannot stay in a home where my children are being used as tools to facilitate sexual assault, because that that was part of it, what of what of it was, was if you scream and fight, the kids are going to hear you, you don't want the kids to come in. And I was kind of explaining this of, 
you know, this is why this is beyond a prayer issue. And for my safety, I need to, to create some separation here. One of the suggestions that I was actually given by, again, a believer that at the time I very much trusted and respected was you should get a panic button and install a pan some panic buttons in your home and have your mom and your mother-in-law and some of these other people as contacts on the panic button and have it be somewhere where you could reach it in the places in your home where he most commonly assaults you because they believed me that this was happening. Have it where you can reach it in the places in your home where he most commonly assaults you. And the next time he does that, push the panic button. And I know that people would come to help you. I was like, I want you to understand what, what you're saying here. I want you to hear the things you're saying out loud. Staying in my marriage and praying is so much more important than my personal safety that your advice to me is continuing to put myself in harm's way and buy panic buttons for my own home to protect myself and my children from my husband, because that's a more logical solution than seeking safety while he gets counseling. Ugh. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for saying that out loud. Um, yeah, I I heard a pretty uh, crazy piece of advice when I was going through my journey, and this is 30 years ago. It came from a minister who was also a friend. Um, he said, well, all I've ever, you know, figured out about porn, uh, you know, in these situations is the wife needs to like exhaust him. Yeah. And I was thinking, you know, back then, of course, I'm so young and I, uh, you know, I, I don't even know what is happening to me and I can't, you know, I've got a full-time job. I've got two children already. I, 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 um, I'm trying to hold all the balls in the air. I'm trying to be a good Christian wife. And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> My first thought was what? No, no. Listen, I cannot exhaust him. I yeah. mean, like, when is that available? When I'm grading English papers, when I'm leading the choir, when I'm diapering my child, I mean, like, no. So in that, that I was like, how can that be the answer? And in speaking to my, my current husband, who is a gem in the crown of humanity, <laughs> uh, we're going on 17 years in a real marriage. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. This is really kind of cool stuff, you know? Yeah. Good job, God. Um, yeah. <laughs> two people actually want to be married and they do it together. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, let me encourage you with that. But my husband said to me, Lori, that's absurd. He said the porn is an addiction. Yes. He said, that's like saying to a drug addict, you just need to like take all the drugs yourself. And then when you come near me, I'll give you some more. Yes. And that was, you know, in my situation there, there was um, some violent pornography in addition to the things that were happening to me, which makes sense. Again, that's kind of supported by the research that that's a pattern. But um, again, one of the, one of the Christian individuals that I had disclosed this to that I considered a mentor, her response was, well, 
Have you ever considered maybe what your husband needs as a partner who's willing to experiment with BDSM and some of those things? Like this is this is your solution. I need to be willing to do BDSM and pretend that I enjoy this to keep him happy. Cause there is, you know, and that's obviously a whole separate conversation of, you know, people who enjoy that and what is and is not an okay and all that. But the point being is to look at an instance of sexual violence against a woman and to tell her, maybe if you were just willing to play along like it was a BDSM thing, all of this would be fine. Oh, <laughs> okay. <clears throat> okay, world. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe all of us. You know, I think oftentimes people are very good intentioned. Uh, they want to be helpful, but when they talk, they're idiots. So yeah. um, I think a lot of times people, I think, I think, I think you're right. I think that a lot of times people grasp at straws mm -hmm. trying to be helpful. And I think that especially with, within the church, kind of going back to keeping this in the context of the church, I honestly think that a lot of the people who say these things have good intentions because they have grown up in a world where marriage is the top thing, right? Because mm. we hear this all the time in the evangelical world. Marriage is the worldly picture of the relationship between God and the church. Marriage is the closest thing we have in understanding how deeply Jesus loves the church and we have all this symbolism in the Bible and marriage. And I think that we have people who have grown up in church and have come to idolize marriage mm. and that marriage becomes more important than the individuals in that marriage. And they really think that they're doing the right thing of let me encourage you for how to stay in this marriage at all costs, because marriage is so important to God. I think that their motives are coming from the right place in their own minds. But the problem is that whole mindset has become so skewed by the church that that's one of the foundational things that I do think we need to be working on as a Christian community is marriage is made up of individuals and God cares about those individuals. Yes. And the children. Yes. And the children. I, I I remember when I left my my situation, I said to a trusted woman of God, um, I said, I have to believe that there are less divorces, less of an evil than three little boys living 24 seven believing growing up and believing that this is the way that you treat a woman mm -hmm. because i yeah. think the church has made um not god but i think the church has made the marriage the biggest deal and the worst thing you can ever do is to be divorced um yes. 30 years outside of that imagine 30 years ago i'm divorced and i'm divorced from a minister I mean, you talk about, you know, some sort of scarlet letter. Um, yeah, I was wearing it big time. They're like, oh, from a minister, you know, like that was somehow another scarlet letter that I got to wear um, because certainly a man of God would be above any A, B or C. And I love how you brought that out. You know, a marriage is between human people. 
And uh, of course, in in my memoir, Married by Myself, you know, I'm talking about how you can't just be all by yourself, you know, cheerleading your marriage. So I'm going to need two people for that. Well, Jess, I thank you so much. Is there anything else that you want to say to leave with with our, our audience before we say goodbye, but not forever? Yes. Um, I think my biggest takeaway, so like you mentioned, I am a psychology professor and I teach classes on the psychology of domestic violence. And I also teach a lot of developmental psychology classes. Mm. And I think one of my biggest takeaways would be for any listeners who are parents, if you find pornography on your kids' computers, devices, whatever, make it a teachable moment. Don't Mm. pretend it didn't happen. Don't just ground them and say, this is horrible and we're never going to do it. Like have a real conversation with them about why is this so bad and why is this so dangerous and what kind of mindset and honestly brain damage are you setting yourself up for by consuming this? Because we have so much research out there that pornography actually changes the brain. It changes the hardwiring in the brain about sexual arousal. Um, And I can share some resources on that for you to post with the listeners, but having conversations with kids, because the only way this is going to stop is to shape the next generation is to get through to boys that are teenagers right now that are 10, 12 years old right now that are just kind of beginning in this journey, changing the next generation is how this stops. And so make it a big deal if you find it, not in terms of grounding them for a year and taking away all electronics, but in having a real conversation about it and about why it's a problem. And for mothers of daughters, which obviously boys get sexually abused too. I'm not, I'm not gender washing that it's always male perpetrator, female victim, but for kids making sure that they are aware that you as their parent are a safe space if any form of abuse ever happens to Hmm. them. Yes. If, you know, if you have a teen daughter who's dating and her boyfriend gets a bit rough with her, that there should be lines in the sand that are much more in her favor than what we tend to make them. He doesn't need to give you a black eye for it to be wrong. That any interaction that you're uncomfortable with to make sure that her home is a safe space that she feels like she can go to her parents and talk about it and that they're going to believe her and have her back. And you know, obviously um, same thing for boys if something happens to them, but yeah, be work on changing things for the future by impacting those who haven't gone through yet, gone through this yet to hopefully prevent them from having to go through it. Oh, it's so good. And I'm so happy that you're going to have resources and I will uh, listeners publish resources in the show notes. So uh, you'll be able to scroll down in the podcast and, and find your way to what Jessica Gomez is talking about and her LinkedIn. um, I think she offered to us. So We'll put that um, down there too, in case you need to pick her brain for something a little more. Jess, I I commend you for your bravery. Thank you. For your bravery. Um, I, I know, I know firsthand how hard it is to first um, speak because you don't know who's listening that's going to say yay or nay. 
Um, but that's what we're about here. We're about uh, breaking the silence on this issue. And we're about finding the healing. And we are about living victorious anyway. And we do always have to say it like that, listeners. You know, <laughs> it's our act of rebellion. I'm going to, I'm not just going to survive. What are you talking about? I'm going to thrive. I'm going to make a difference. So today you've been listening to Jessica Gomez, psychology professor and former student of mine. And I thank you so much, Jess. Thank you. Friends, remember to hop on the website to grab one of the 15 spots for personal coaching. Let's get this healing started. The four sessions are offered at the introductory price of $199. So go to that website, victoriousanyway.co. Scroll to the Church Abused Coach section, sign up, and get your spot today. Hey friend, if you found hope in today's episode, would you let the world know? Head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. I would really love that. Hey, say hello on my Facebook page, Victorious Anyway, as together we break the silence, find the healing, and live victorious anyway.